Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the July 9, 2023 session, focusing on Genesis chapter 24, verses 34 through 67. Matchmaker, matchmaker. I'm David Cassidy. I'm David Adams. And I'm Burt Montgomery. Dear listeners, we are without female supervision today. <laughs> no, that this could, is not good. <laughs> no, it's not good. It's it's really bad. We we count on Nikki and Crystal to keep us centered, to keep us focused. Unfortunately, that will not be the case today. So you, who knows what will happen? <laughs> but I'm I'm excited to be here with David Adams and Burt Montgomery. Daniel Glaze is off to youth camp. So prayers for him and his youth group. <laughs> and Nikki, unfortunately, is under the weather. Aww. So we hope we hope she feels better soon. But I'm really glad you guys are here with me today. We have a really interesting text. But before we get into that, I'm curious to know, how did you meet your significant other? And were there camels involved? Well, okay, I, I say, will. I I will jump in quickly and say <laughs> no. There were no camels involved, and I'm I met her as any good Baptist boy should do in church. Oh, brother! Oh, man! <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah, we've lost Bert for a second. Yeah, I met my significant other with no camels involved whatsoever. I don't even think people were even smoking around us, so you couldn't even stretch camels into that. But it was not too differently from the way Bert is putting it at a religious event. We were actually in college together, and at the beginning of each semester, the Baptist Student Union would have a get-together for any students who wanted to come by. And I was a regular at, at the BSU at that point in time, and she just came by to visit. And that's where I met her. I was in college when I met Regina, and I had a friend who was also a fraternity brother who he would love to come by my dorm room, bang on the door. Hey, man, hey, Cassidy, let's go catch a movie. Or, hey, Cassidy, let's go grab a burger. Or, oh, Cassidy, let's go bowling. And I'd say, okay, cool, let's do it. And I'd go hop in his car, and he'd say, hey, hope you don't mind. I'm going to stop by and pick up some folks. And he would swing by and pick up Regina and Lacey, her roommate, who he was dating. And so Regina and I kept being thrown together. <laughs> and, yes, we also, he would pick us up to go to church. We so we just, we finally, Regina and I decided if we're going to keep getting set up, we may as well date. And here we are some 40 something years later. Isn't yeah. that romantic? Isn't it? <laughs> if we're going to keep being set up, <laughs> might as well. That, you that's know, very, just... <laughs> very Hallmark movie-esque. Yeah. Which, which reminds me that, yeah, expanding my story a little bit with Patty, it was Hallmark movie-esque, too, because we did see each other at that first night. It wasn't love at first sight. It took a long time for me to work up the nerve to go ahead and call her up and stuff. And for a while, I didn't think that she was even paying attention to me. You know, And, and we thought, this is not going to work. And yes. in fact, it's far from working. So these things just don't happen immediately. We made them. No. But it does no. not work out overnight for the most part. No, it was we we were thrown together multiple times. And she didn't seem very happy about it. I was fine, but she. <laughs> but I still blame her because our actual first official date was to a Sadie Hawkins event, and she invited me. Mm. Yep, her fault. Did you wear the yep. khaki pants? Oh, yeah. 
in the Sadie Hawkins dance in your khaki pants? <laughs> in my khaki pants. But we did have Mexican for dinner first, so that was nice. Mm. <laughs> anyway, all those walks down memory lane. I believe, Bert, you're going to share with us a little more about your experience in your intro. So I'm going to I'm going to turn it over to you. Yeah, just a little bit. If you were to ask my wife, and her name, by the way, is Jensi. Jensi would tell you that she is convinced that one way or another, God was going to work it out so that she and I could get together. Now, as most of I grew up in and around New Orleans. And from the time I was child, I was a child. Now, seriously, as a child, even up into my high school years, I thought I would end up attending a seminary in New Orleans. If you were to ask my wife, her name, by the way, is Jensi. Jensi would tell you that she is convinced that one way or another, God was going to work it out so that she and I would be together. Now, as most of you, I grew up in and around New Orleans. And from the time I was a child, seriously, a child, up into my, t- my high school years, I thought I would end up attending a seminary right there in New Orleans. However, my parents, who were not originally from Louisiana, but from towns in Mississippi, they had decided that after 30 years in the Big Easy, they were ready to move away. So two weeks after my graduation, we moved to Jackson, Tennessee. And the following year, in church there, I met Jensi. Now, the fun thing is, if you ask Jensi, What would have happened had my parents not moved to Tennessee and had I stayed in New Orleans as I thought I would? She will then tell you that although she chose to attend a small college right there in Jackson, Tennessee, which I ended up attending also, she had been researching colleges that offered degrees in her areas of interest and had very seriously considered one in, you guessed it. New Orleans. So one way or another, Jensi still says after 30 years, God was going to get us together. Now, today's story from Genesis might seem a bit odd to a lot of us in our culture today, in our mindset, and the way we we meet our spouses, our partners, and the way each of us have individual choice in whether we want to date, whether we want to partner with anyone, or whether we never want to at all. Now, again, I mean, in my own story, it wasn't my father who sent a servant out with instructions to find a woman for me, to negotiate with her father, give him ornaments and jewelry and fine clothing, and then bring that woman back to marry me. That's not how my story worked. That's not how David and David's stories worked. I doubt that's how your story worked, but it's how our story in Genesis worked. And it may not sound, while it sounds pretty misogynistic, and it sounds selling a prized cow to a high bidder, it may not be that awful either. I'm reminded of Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Anyway, Abby Seitz, who writes for MyJewishLearning.com, writes about the tradition There's another one, tradition, the tradition of Jewish matchmaking. She says, in this story today, an aging Abraham instructs his servant 
Eliezer, to find a wife for his son, Isaac. Abraham insists that the wife cannot be a Canaanite, so they're okay, don't get this kind of woman, <laughs> all right, and sends Eliezer to find a woman from Abraham's own people. Eliezer travels back to Abraham's own country. He asks God to give him a sign when he has found the right woman. Fortuitously, almost immediately, he meets Rebecca at a well where she offers to water his camels and then quickly and then quickly agrees to marry Isaac, even though she's never met him. Eliezer negotiates with Rebecca's family, and Rebecca agrees. She had an option here to say no. She agrees to return with Eliezer to marry Isaac. Abby Seitz adds this commentary. In this biblical example, we see that there is no single person in charge of a match. Abraham, Eliezer, Rebecca, they are all in they are all in on this and part of bringing it about, but neither one, none of them are alone in charge of making the match. There's also, notice, no element of coercion in this text. Rebecca agrees to go and wants to marry Isaac, whom she hasn't met. And again, this is cultural. And that God is considered in this text to be playing a key role in giving the sign as to who the right woman might be. And she adds that in Jewish matchmaking through thousands of years, these are the key elements that have made it. Now, I looked for some other ideas on this text, of, to, uh, coming at it from a sociological perspective, a white European perspective, that arranged marriages seem so outdated and foreign and unfair to women, and in many cases unfair to the, to the boy about to get married too. Another person who writes, uh, an Old Testament scholar, Hebrew scripture scholar, Juliana Classens, says that in this text, we see one of the few instances in the Hebrew Bible in which love language is actually used to describe the relationship between a man and a woman. Isaac is said to love Rebecca. The servant in this text looks at ordinary events through eyes of faith that he begins to see God is leading him through common, ordinary, everyday moments and events to the right way to, his, to accomplish his goal, which is to find a woman, the right woman, for his master's son. God is considered in this text to be involved with a part of the ordinary life events with which people busy themselves, including finding a life partner finding a soulmate. This text suggests that maybe it's not so far-fetched to imagine a God who is deeply involved and committed to with even who we partner with. Now, back to me. I don't necessarily believe, I, I do not believe in predestination, and I am not a a believer that God is some type of strict, rigid puppet master following some detailed script that had been written out for us thousands and thousands of years before any of us were even born. But I've also learned not to be quick to judge other cultures, other traditions, and how marriage and family have evolved from place to place and time to time from the beginning of time, and how our own culture and modern way of thinking about marriage and family is still evolving. 
And maybe, just maybe, God is still in the midst of everyday, common, routine event, events going on. And yeah, maybe God still has a role to play in helping us find our significant others. Hmm. What do y'all think? Obvious answer to, to give, I think, if you know me well enough anyway, is only through the grace of God are you ever going to find anybody who would put up with you for 40 years and be married to you. We talk that way. There's a truth behind that. Yeah. And so we're coming up on our 40th wedding anniversary soon. And how would we have gotten here had God not been involved? God had not set that up. God had not been with us the whole way, making sure that we could work through all the things we've been through. How was that going to happen? It just couldn't. Yeah. I'm glad you put that in there, that God is involved through it all, not just in the meeting, yeah, you know, like the entire see people, but through the continuation of it, and we are partners with God in that. And sometimes that doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah. I'm like you, Bert. I I have trouble with an image of God as like the deists have, where you know God is pretty much pre-designed the machine and it just runs, and we're all playing the part that we've been set to play without any real free will or choice in it. Again, I, I think I mentioned in an earlier podcast this image of a weaver that weaves a tapestry or a quilt and and where we are weaving and God is weaving, and together we form this pattern that really is our lives. It's that, that so that to me makes a lot of sense. But we've talked about significant others, but there are so many places I think we all can look back in our lives. And see that we connected with people. And yes, because of God placing perhaps those people in our paths, allowing us to connect, but also because we choose to take advantage of that, to, to listen, yeah. to watch for these opportunities. I, I was I was telling someone yesterday about I had at a conference a year and a half ago, I had seen a guy who was walking around the room taking photos. And because I'm also a photographer and I like to geek out over the equipment, when we were on a break, I went over to him and I said, hey, what kind of camera you got? <laughs> and we started talking about the equipment and about what we like to photograph and ended up discovering he wasn't just a photographer. He was the vice president of communications for the organization. <laughs> and he just, he just, he said, we're going to need photos. So I'm taking them. And as it's turned out, because of this relationship that we formed, we now see each other at a lot of meetings where theological educa educators gather. And I have reached out to him now on at least two occasions to get his expert advice. And because we have this rapport, I feel like we, I feel like we get to the bottom of things quicker. And, and I am extraordinarily grateful that I've got him as a resource in my life. But again, I think it's both ways, right? that God gives us these opportunities, and we also have to be watching for them and listening for them and being receptive to embracing them when they come to us. Yeah, and the opportunity is not an opportunity to have something. It's the opportunity to work to have something, and we yeah. don't look at that very often. It's, I, I just had this dialogue with somebody yesterday after doing a funeral, and I, I won't give you all the context, but basically at one point I turned to him and said, this is not a Hallmark movie. Everything didn't just end today. 
you're gonna have to pick up your life and live now beyond this point. We we have this romanticized vision of God putting people together where, okay, we, we roll the closing credits, it's done now. It's finished. We just assume they're going to pick it up and work from there. And so the whole movie is about getting them to that point where they make that commitment, it seems. Mm-hmm. And that's just not where it ends. That's where it begins. Yeah. And often we don't understand that e- either in our relationships with other people or in how we carry out our lives. We we want God to have wound up a toy and turned it loose and watch it march across the table. And that's not what God does. God's more like having the finger on top of that toy and helping us guide it around the table. That's interesting, David, what you just said, David Adams, because it, so much of our, for for men our age, the three of us, <laughs> and I don't know how many people listening are our age or older, we're part of this blurring, changing dynamic in marital relations and social expectations between men and women. So like even when I was in college and y'all were in college, the number of women seeking professional careers was still much smaller than it is today. And if women went to college in the 70s and even into the 80s, some said they were an RS degree, right, to find a husband. That has decreased a lot. Women have more freedom. Women have more choice. Women are free to choose not to get married or not to date or to date and see people and never get married at all. It's not being made for them. Whereas my mom, it was assumed that by the time she was in her 20s, she's going to be married. And if she wasn't, then she's going to be a school teacher or something like that until she got married. So it's it's the dynamic. And, and I think we read this, and sometimes rightfully so, into scripture texts like today. Like poor Rebecca was a poor woman who never had any choice in life that her life was chosen for her and men just did everything. And 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 even Isaac didn't get have much of a choice, right? <laughs> Here, son, here's the woman you're gonna marry. Arranged marriages. And and that is the case in some in many instances around the world of arranged marriages. And so we think about this a lot, but we also think of it as it's mostly not fair to women. And and I'm not saying that this was actually fair because Rebecca probably didn't have much of a a whole lot of life like women today would have a life of their own independence. However, we can't think that God, we got to be careful to say God is, I'm always careful to say God is, that God brought us together, my wife and me together, although I do believe it, because I've just seen too much over time, and how God has been, not just brought us together, but David, as you said, been with us through it, and that we both had to work with God and with each other through this process. But I've got too many friends, too many friends, that this is the person from falls apart. And what does that leave that? Maybe that was a they, they miss God's plan. They, they, God, this one and said it didn't work out. I don't think it's that simple. So we've got to be careful with this text and, and with all the things that this brings to marriage, that there is a sense, at least I think, in our culture that we are wanting to go back, or some of us, mostly men, are easier time when, hey, I just found the right woman for me, she comes to my house, and I still get to be independent and do what I want and make my money and all that stuff, and she takes care of the house. And, and we don't want to go back to that. And I don't want anybody to think that this is what God having the choice in a marriage is all about, because I do believe what y'all have both said, that this is, Jincy and I are partners with God 
in our marriage. I don't, I'm rambling, but I, I want to be careful for anyone who's listening who may have felt this way at one time, but then things just didn't go together because some some of you who are listening are divorced, or some of you listening have never been married and don't really care to find your soulmate. Uh, you're perfectly happy, like the Apostle Paul was, remaining single. So we, we got to. I'm going to make space for all of that. Yeah, and I guess I want to broaden the conversation a little bit beyond from just finding significant others. Really, just those opportunities in life to notice where God is at work in our lives, where where God is offering us something, bringing someone into our lives that could be a friend, could be an acquaintance, could be somebody that just plays a special part in our lives, makes a difference, or vice versa, where we are being placed in the path of someone else to do something, to do something good. Because those opportunities happen all the time, I believe. And we may miss a lot of them. I'm sure I do. But how many can we catch and embrace if we pay attention? And I guess it's that paying attention that in this passage we're looking at today, it appears that there was almost a practice of paying attention, an assumption that God is at work. I should be watching for this. Yeah, it's fascinating that you would say that because I've just started rereading the the little tiny little devotional book by Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence of God. And, and that's the whole idea, is that it's no big, great, grand, one moment here and there. You know, it's just this constant every moment, every interaction, everything I'm doing, God is present. And maybe it's my job to stop and pay attention to every little thing, and God is there. Yeah. It- it occurs to me while you're saying all this, I'm going back and reading the passage, and if we took the romantic part out of this, we could make this more a story about Abraham told a servant to go do something, and the guy didn't know how he was going to pull this off. It's going to be difficult. Where am I going to find this woman, this this perfect person? I'm going to find that. I'll pray. God helped the servant out at achieving their goals. We don't learn the servant's name. He's not the focal person in this passage. But it does show somebody working out with God to get something accomplished. God's with this person who's been giving a difficult task from a master. Looks like what's going to happen to him if he's unsuccessful, but probably won't be good. And yet, through trusting God and letting God work through him, something good came of it. Even without the, the couple at the end, you still see God working through lives here, making change when God is being trusted and worked with. We are in a time during the Christian calendar called Ordinary Time. We've been talking during this episode about the ways this passage has led us to think about and consider the way God, the ways that God often works within the ordinary within our lives. And I, I couldn't help but think, one, how much of the Christian calendar is spent in, quote, ordinary time. where we're not in Advent or Lent or Epiphany. We are in ordinary time. And honestly, that's where most of our lives are spent, in what we would consider ordinary time. I like to quote Frederick Buechner a lot, and that's just partly because he he wrote so much. (laughs) But he's also, he's just really good. And he wrote a book in 2017 
called The Remarkable Ordinary, How to Stop, Look, and Listen to Life. And if you're looking for ways to practice this paying attention to God's work in the ordinary, I would commend to you this this book as a way to perhaps begin thinking about and being more aware of these opportunities that God works into our days, into our ordinary time, all the time. And so I'll leave us today with a quote from that work. Meekner writes, It seems to me almost before the Bible says anything else, it is saying that how poor, how, let me try that again. It seems to me almost before the Bible says anything else, it is saying that how important it is to be alive and to pay attention to being alive. Pay attention to each other. Pay attention to God as he moves and as he speaks. Pay attention to where life or God has tried to take you. Good words. May we all work to emulate the faith of these we're reading about in this text today. And may we all pay better attention to the way God is working in the ordinary in our lives every day. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.